Life Audio. We, we have to really challenge the way we think about submission because at bottom, it really is about love. And I think most women who cringe on the other side, who cringe even in Christian circles at the idea of submission, oftentimes that is rooted in fear. And they got good reason to be afraid because there's some jokers out here. So, I mean, I, I, get, why, <laughs> I get why there's fear. But, but ultimately, what we are entrusting ourselves to is God's word and God's love for us. You are listening to Real Relationship Talk, a podcast helping married and pre-married couples build lasting love from above. Got problems? Let's solve them. Because real trials need real truth. Now it's time to get in the game with your relationship coach and host, Dana Shea. Let me ask you a question. How connected are you and your marriage or relationship? Does it sometimes feel that there's something standing in the way of the true intimacy you desire? The first step to reconnection is to measure how far you're disconnected. That's why I've created a free tool to help you check your connection. This short two-minute quiz will assess how present and connected you are and how to deepen your intimacy. Take the quiz at danashay.com forward slash partner quiz. That's D-A-N-A-C-H-E dot com forward slash partner quiz. Well, hey, friends, it's Dana Shea, and you are listening to Real Relationship Talk. You all, today, we are so blessed to have with us two midwives of culture for grace and truth, Akimini Uwan and Dr. Christina Edmondson of the highly acclaimed and award-winning Truth Table podcast. You guys, I have been listening to their podcast for a couple of years, and when Hannah, who's our podcast editor, reached out to tell me that we were going to have them on the show, I could barely contain my excitement. So excited to have them here today. You just do not understand. Truth's Table is the go-to podcast in the Black Christian community, and it has even been featured on Grammy Award-winning hip-hop artist Lecrae's album, All Things Work Together. Let me tell you a little bit about these two amazing women. Ekemeni and Christina share their much-needed perspectives on politics, race, culture, entertainment, gender, relationships, marriage. They do it all, and they do it through an accessible yet robust Christian theological framework. These ladies know what they are talking about. I love not only the podcast episode that we are about to present to you today in this conversation, but every conversation that I have heard these ladies on, they know their stuff. They are well-educated, well-researched, and well-experienced. Akemini is a public theologian who is also a contributing writer for Hallmark's Mahogany brand, which is really my favorite brand of greeting cards. And Christianity Today named her among 10 new or lesser known female theologians worth knowing. Akemini has appeared on MSNBC, and her insights are quoted by NPR, CNN, The New York Times, The Washington Post, and The New Yorker, among many other publications. Akemini is single, and so she's going to talk with us today on her perspective about living single. In the book, which is also called Truth's Table, she writes a chapter called Hidden in Plain Sight, A Single Black Woman's Manifesto. I have not been single for 25 years almost, and I learned from just her insights on what it is like to be single. So Dr. Christina actually holds a PhD in counseling psychology, a master's degree in family therapy, and a bachelor's degree in sociology. 
She speaks and writes on leadership development, anti-racism, and mental health issues. Christina has actually been married for over two decades, and so she's going to share with us today some powerful truths about mutual submission and what does it actually take to have a healthy marriage. I mentioned earlier that these ladies also wrote a book. They co-wrote it with Michelle Higgins, who used to be their third co-host on the podcast. These three women wrote a book called Truth's Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation. And you all, this book has been nominated for the 54th NAACP Image Awards. I mean, come on now, let's get excited. And let me just say before we actually get started, I realize that not everyone who is listening to this podcast is Black, but I know that regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your race, you are going to be so built up and you are going to learn a lot from this conversation. I believe that it is so important that we surround ourselves with people who know more than us. I heard someone say a long time ago that you, when you're going into rooms, you should strive to be the dumbest person in the room. And I have lived by that, you guys. I love sitting at the feet or at the table of people who are well beyond me, who are going to challenge me, who are going to call me up, who are going to challenge my perspective or help me to broaden my perspective. And that's what this conversation is all about today. So we go in, we talk all about things, colorism, we talk about race, we talk a little bit about theology. And then of course, because this is a marriage show, we we are going to talk about marriages and relationships. So there's so, so, so much truth. So, so, so much knowledge packed in this 45-minute episode. I cannot wait for you guys to hear it. So without any further ado, get excited and help me welcome to the show today, Akemini Uwan and Dr. Christina Edmondson. All right. Well, I'm so excited to be here with Akimini and Christina uh, of the Truth's Table podcast. We were just talking a little bit about um, just life and everything before we started this recording. I've been following y'all's podcast for a couple years. And uh, one of the things that really stood out to me about your podcast is just I can tell that y'all have a genuine friendship. And I think that makes such a difference, you know, when you're listening to a podcast and you kind of feel like, you know, the guests a little bit, like I know what's happening in your life a little bit. And I can kind of, even though I'm a fly on the wall, it just feels like I'm, I'm like at a, at a table, you know, no pun intended, but I'm at a table with girlfriends who are having coffee. So first and foremost, I just want to thank y'all for being on the show today. Happy to be here. Thank you for having us, Dana. Absolutely. Thanks so much for the invitation. My pleasure. Well, why don't y'all tell me a little bit about, first of all, your friendship. How did you meet each other? And then where did the idea for a podcast come from? Yeah, I think so. I, I, so the way that we, the way that we met each other, Kimmy and I is because uh, one of her professors, um, his son, uh, a, a grown, grown man. <laughs> so not, don't think kid, think grown, grown man with, I think with a grandchild now, um, <laughs> was attending our church in Michigan. And I think Akimini had done a presentation and it was kind of like a theological analysis. I, I think maybe of uh, Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. movement, maybe. Needless to say, they passed that recording on to my husband who studies, you know, uh, uh, suffering and theology and justice and all those things. And then Micah passed it on to me and was like, hey, you should listen to this. This is really good. It's really interesting. And, I, and, and you know what? She seems like, you know, your kind of people. And so, um, so I listened to it, uh, and one, because of his recommendation, but also because I was at the time I was putting together a conference around Jesus and politics. And so I was looking for someone who would kind of do the work 
that Akimini was doing in that talk. And so that's when I reached out to her and brought her into the church to present. And then when she was there, of course, I was I was her one on one. I was her her host, her hostess. I was her uh, her hand, her handmaiden. Um, and so <laughs> but 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 it, but in that time, I was like, oh, she is just she's so much fun. She's so bright. And I and I have a particular love for like seminary and clergy type people, although I am not a seminarian. I've taught seminary. I've not been to seminary, but I have a love for folks. I feel like I understand that church, that world. Um, and so I was like, she will be my friend. She shall be my friend henceforth and forever. And so that is how that friendship started for me. It's because I was like, I'm bringing her in and I got to hear her talk. And I felt like I got a good sense of like her heart and her ethics and her commitments. And I was like, oh, she's serious. She's serious about Jesus and she's fun. <laughs> and I was like, she shall be my friend. So that's that's how that started. Uh, that friendship started for me. Do you second all of that, Akimini? Yes, yes, it's very, very accurate. I'm actually glad she went first. Yeah, I, that's, I, I, I hadn't know. She, she has told me about the background. You know, I always kind of forget that it was a, through a professor, actually, that, um, that she, um, got connected to me because I always think I just remember the point of contact, um, Christina reaching out for me to speak at uh, this conference. I think it was 2015. I think it was about 2015 uh, when that happened, and so got the request mm -hmm. and. Um, came out to Michigan and I remember she came and picked me up, I think in her uh, Toyota Echo. And I was like, and she was oh, just, I, I, was like, I missed that little car. The Echo. <laughs> <laughs> and the Echo, just very humble, very wise, smart, smart, sharp as a tech. So I was like, this woman knows a lot of things. So I was like, she knows a lot of things. I was like, golly, she's she's a Wikipedia. You know, it's like going, I do my my presentation and whatnot, and you know, and Christina's doing her thing, handling and facilitating, getting some people together. What got yeah. that? You yeah. know, and I was like, mm -hmm. you know, this this is my kind of people. <laughs> <laughs> After that, we go to lunch, me, her, and Micah, and we just. I mean, fast friends. I mean, you would think I've known these people for about 10 years. You know, uh, I guess we are going to be going on 10 soon, but, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but really, it really, really felt very much like an instant, um, connection. And, um, yeah. And so we didn't want to leave, but had to go and went back <laughs> at this time, you know, to Philly. And, uh, and then, yeah, then Christina, you know, called me and would text and calls. Oh, she's calling. Like, oh, okay. I wonder what she's calling about. Let me <laughs> I said, you're, call. I said, she's my friend now. Okay, she's that's right. That's right. What's this about? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and she just kind of kept kind of pursuing me in that, in that way. Cause you know, this kind of world can be really transactional, honestly. Yeah, and right. so you don't always know, you know, what you, know, you do have a bit of a guard up, you know, um, to some degree, but, uh, but she was just, such has been such a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful blessing uh, mm -hmm. to me. Such, I just thank God, you know, for her friendship. It's helped me, shape me, molded me in so many ways. Um, I've grown, healed um, by leaps and bounds because of her friendship, and so I'm grateful. It's very feels very Jonathan and David esque. So I thank mm -hmm. God for for my friend. Yes, yeah. it's, it's definitely very freaking frat. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> 
<laughs> Very. <laughs> Thelma and Louise. It's shenanigans and shenanigans. Yeah. Shenanigans. <laughs> I meet so many women who struggle with, especially as adults, you know, how to actually form good friendships. And I know I've struggled in the past. I know a lot of people. I have a tons of acquaintances. But when it comes to like that, that friendship level, you know, you said something to Kimmy. You said a lot of times it can be very transactional. And, and I realized that, you know, so how I think what we're talking about, you know, how to actually cultivate like real friendships, how to actually take the first step. You know, Christina, you were like, I made a commitment. This girl is going to be my friend, whether she realizes it or not, whether she knows it or not. And then to be intentional about following through with that, I think is, you know, that's just really good advice for for women who are wondering, like, I want more friends. I need more friends. But how do I actually create more friends? And so what you're modeling, I think, just in what you did is, is super important and helpful. Um, it's really just a conversation. And then it's the follow through. That's what it sounds like it is to me. Yeah, I think, yeah, definitely the follow through. Hey, friends, I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. But we got to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Well, from your friendship that spurned this podcast idea. So tell me a little bit about who was kind of the the driving force. Was it um, a mutual thing? I know at one point you had a third uh, co-host. So tell me a little bit about how the podcast got started. Um, yeah. So way back, way back into time, pre-pandemic. Um, <laughs> back right, in, a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Back in 2016. Yes, 2016, uh, Labor Day weekend, uh, we were at a conference and there at the conference, uh, a friend of, uh, of mine, uh, who was actually a podcast producer, um, came up to me and was like, Hey, you know, you should have a show, you know, your own podcast and stuff. And I was like, Oh, I don't think I want to have my own show. I mean, I don't know. I just, it's not really my, I don't know if I want to have my own solo show, <laughs> you know? And he's like, okay, well, what about you, Christina and Michelle? And I was like, that might could work <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because we had just started a group chat earlier that year. Let's just call it spring of 2016. Right. Um, and this is like late summer cause it's Labor Day weekend. And so I just kind of threw it back out to Christina and Michelle. Like, what do y'all think about this? We didn't know much about podcasting when we weren't podcast listeners and still to some degree aren't <laughs> now presently, uh, believe it or not. Um, and so anyway, we all prayed about it and just felt like, okay, we'll, we let's do this. And so the brainstorming started in our group chat about what we're going to call ourselves, what we talk about, what we're going to do it honestly. And that's how truth table um, was formed. And so we, we launched in March, 2017. And so we have just started our seventh season y'all. So uh, by God's grace, 
the Lord has um, kept the table going. <laughs> yes. You know, I think <clears throat> when I first learned about you all, I was doing a lot of, I'm a pastor at my church and I'm a pastor at a multi-ethnic church. And so we're always having these conversations, which obviously mm -hmm. can be very fun and spicy. Um, but we're always having these conversations about around race and, you know, just just because you grew up black doesn't necessarily mean that you have this large repertoire of information, you know? And so I was just doing a lot of research and digging into um, our history, <laughs> and, you know what I mean? And so when I found y'all, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is, this is the, conver these are the conversations that we need to be having because y'all don't mince words. You don't play politics. You're not trying to be PC. Like it just is what it is. And so I love the the name Truth's Table because you're telling the truth. And I think that for me, at least, I have learned so much just listening to your show and listening to how you don't necessarily, the three of you, especially, you know, you're not necessarily going to agree 100% on every single thing, but you're coming at it in a, in a perspective. I think that it was, it's like a, a void. That conversation wasn't really happening. Maybe it was, I just wasn't really aware of that conversation happening elsewhere. Yeah. So I know that you've written a book and I'm really excited to talk about your book. Um, I think one of the things that really stood out to me, and this is where I really want um, for you all to inform this conversation when you talk about colorism and colorism is so prevalent in almost every facet, you know, from the work, uh, work force to relationships, friendships. Um, it's just, it's, it's prevalent in so many different areas. And I know that y'all talk about that a lot in the book, but I want to talk a little bit about in relationships. Um, <laughs> you know, when it comes to Black men and Black women and historically um, what that relationship has meant and then what has been taken from us in that in that regard. So can y'all speak a little bit into how you see colorism showing up, especially nowadays in, in Black relationships, I'm talking romantic relationships here? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, thank you so much. First of all, thank you for picking up our book um, and, um, and reading it. Uh, we really appreciate that. We know there's a lot of books out there, so, <laughs> and we're so grateful that you uh, picked ours up. Um, yeah. So, and the first chapter is colorism. So we, mm -hmm. we talk about not mincing words, we go right on in. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So interpersonally, that is typically how most people usually talk about colorism is how it shows up, you know, with regard to des desirability, you know, and relationships and things. Now, how I've seen it play out, um, I do in the book, I talk about my social location, you know, uh, being born and raised in California. I think that matters. Um, being Nigerian, Nigerian American, I think that matters mm -hmm. um, as well, because that's a whole nother layer, you know, of um, oppression with regard to like colonial history, you know, there and the colonial mentality, um, you know, that I, you know, kind of was subjected to. Uh, and then uh, just being in California where, um, how can I say, there is, uh, colorism is pretty rife, you know, out there. And you're you're talking about uh, being an adolescent coming of age during the video girl era. Mm. <laughs> um, and, you know, where you just see uh, beautiful women, but, you know, uh, light skin, curly hair, long hair, you know, yakky, whatever, you know, whatever the look was back then, mm -hmm. all of that actually. <laughs> but 
back then is what you saw projected, right? And vid- this is back when video um, videos mattered. Music videos actually mattered. So we we were on pins and needles waiting for, the, you know, whoever our favorite artist was, their video, right? That's just how it went. This is before Spotify, this is before Apple Music, before before YouTube too, kind of sort of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so dating myself here, but this, this is just the truth. Like, you know, um, and so that- 106 in Park. You're talking about teen, teen, teen Summit and the Jukebox Network. We're talking oh, about- Oh, the Barry. Yes. <laughs> TRL. TRL. Right. When, this, when yes. MTV used to play our, music videos? We want to put it We want to put it in the right time. Put it in context, Akimini. Context. <laughs> yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. So- um. So that was the time, y'all. That was the time, right? So when we used to pick up, you know, uh, Essence and Ebony, you know, actually go and pick it, you know. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. <laughs> letting y'all know, we are, I'm, I'm an exennial uh, uh, out here. Um, but yeah, so that was the context, right? And so being there in California, you're in, and I'm in Southern California at this point, right? And so I'm there in Hollywood, right? This is the place that is... Uh, uh, um, transmitting <laughs> who is beautiful, who is desirable, who is, you know, I am right there at the epicenter, you know, of that, if that makes sense. And so, um, so yeah, so I, I just remember often being um, overlooked and invisibilized um, uh, by other uh, black men because of my dark skin or, um or I would, there would be some guys that I would talk to and we start to have a little bit of interest and then the interest will fall off. And then I notice, oh, okay, they went with somebody lighter. <laughs> their, mm. their hair is softer than mine or curlier than mine. Or, you know, and this is pre, pre-natural hair movement, y'all. This right. is, I'm just trying yeah. to let y'all know where I'm living at, you know, at the time. And so, um, so you just notice those, you notice those things and people don't say that. And I think, and I think some, and in fairness, I just think that some of the guys don't even know that they were operating from a colorist standpoint or even framework. Right. They don't think people are always aware mm-hmm. of the ways that we've been socialized, you mm-hmm. know, cause our preferences are indeed so- socialized. Um, and so, so those are some of the ways that I've seen it, you know, in, in, even into my adulthood though, yeah, not even just in, in high school and in college, you know, even in my adulthood, I've I've noticed that trend too, where it's like, okay, I couldn't be your girlfriend, but this next person who's significantly lighter than me and has mm-hmm. her hair is curlier than mine, she's your girlfriend now. Oh, she is who you think you're going to marry. I've actually been told that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, so those are the ways that I've, I've absolutely seen that um, with regard to, you know, um, relationships or desirability. Um, with regard to colorism. Yeah. And Christina, I know, you know, being a lighter skinned person, like how have you experienced colorism on the negative? Because I think there is, um, there is a privilege, I mean, that comes with having lighter skin. You know, I used to hate to admit that, you know, I'm like, that's not true. That's not, you know, but there is, just like you said, Akimini, like we have been socialized into thinking that lighter is better. Um, and even other cultures, we had a foreign exchange student live with us from China for a few years. And I mean, her, her skin was very pale, but she was still like, obsessed with like light skin like they bleach their skin you know to be even lighter and I'm like whoa like here she is from a whole nother country a whole nother culture still believing that lighter is better and so uh Christina have you had any negative experiences where it comes to like colorism uh as far as you're concerned so I mean I I think I think sociologically I mean it 
I, I agree with what you're saying that people don't typically want to um, own their privileges because there's a sense of shame, right? right? And if you're a part of a marginalized group, it's sometimes hard for people to admit a privilege on one side and a um, a burden or a marginalization on the other. But all those things can exist in the same pot, right? So mm-hmm. I'm I am more than well aware that I experience lighter skin privilege. Um, I'm, I'm just I'm I'm just super aware of that. Um, that privilege doesn't manifest, it doesn't, um, and the word privilege is kind of a loaded term, but, um, I'm okay saying that out loud. It's not something that I asked for. It's a part of a society that I was born into. And I would even make the case that the lighter skin privilege that I have is, is a consequence of the enslavement of my ancestors. And so I, within over a hundred plus years, I don't have any consensual interracial marriages in my family structure. We don't have black men who've married white women. There's, I don't have that in my, in my family system or vice versa. What that means is that my complexion is a byproduct of the forced relationships of the last 250 years um, in the United States of America. So it is indeed a privilege, but it's a privilege that was granted or given um, as a consequence of, of white supremacy and colonialism and the transatlantic slave trade. So it is, it is, it's cemented in this toxicity, right? Mm. I also think that there are ways in which our relationships, because of colorism, the relationships between Black women with each other are, are marred by that, that resentment, by that mm. privilege, by that confusion. And I would say, if I was to speak about maybe a negative consequence of colorism, so to speak, that I've experienced as a lighter skinned black woman, it's probably negative assumptions about my personality mm-hmm. from women who have darker skin than me mm-hmm. and assumptions about what I think about my complexion. So the assumption is that because, uh, because it is a privileged uh, complexion that I would want it. And as a child, I always wanted to look like my mother, who is not light skinned. <laughs> um, and my father has light skin. My mother has brown skin. And in my family system, it was very clear from his his messaging, implicitly and explicitly, that she was the most beautiful woman in the world. You know, um, so I grew up in kind of a Iman Beverly Johnson. They are beautiful, right? And um, it took it took me some time to really be able to say. Uh, without kind of an internalized sense of guilt because of light skin privilege, that I am grateful for however God has fashioned me. And we can we can all we can all choose to be in agreement with God about the shade of our skin, (laughs) whatever that might be. Right. The beautiful range of that. Um, And that became really important to me, even more so when I became a parent with children who have slight different variations of skin tone. And I did. I wanted to be careful about what messages I would send to them about yeah. their own skin color in a world mm-hmm. that's already sending them all kinds of messages about it. Yes, that's so important. You know, I have four children, uh, two adults, two teenagers, and the baby of our family, um, number four, is the only brown skin one in our family. And to be honest, you know, when he was born, first of all, my husband and I were like, oh, like that's a surprise, you know, because we just, we weren't, we weren't expecting that all of our, we're all the same complexion. And Mm -hmm. I remember having that thought literally like, Lord, I hope he doesn't struggle because not because we would do anything, but because he looks different. And I remember when he was like maybe four years old, we were sitting on the couch one day watching TV and just out of nowhere, he said, I don't like my skin color. And my heart broke because I felt like we were so intentional about, we never talked about skin color because I never wanted it to be a problem. I never wanted him to feel like lighter is better or we thought he was different. So I probably went overboard to never 
talk about skin color. So I'm like, my goodness, it got in, seeped in somehow. And I'm like, it's those kids at school. Somebody even said something to him at school. Now I'm mad about to go up to the school and pick a fight with these little four-year-olds, you know? But it like, it started a conversation, you know? And I had to tell him like, mommy loves your skin color. You know, when I see your skin color, you know what I think about? I think of a warm cup of hot chocolate that's creamy and good. And, you know, I'm trying to tell him all the beautiful things about his coloring, but I was not prepared for that conversation Mm -hmm. with my four-year-old, especially because I felt like we were so intentional to make him feel like he's one of us. Cause of course he is one of us. I don't look at him any different. I don't, I mean, obviously I can see with my eyes that his skin shade is different, but um, I think that it is so pervasive in every facet, you know, and and one of the things that you wrote Christina in your book um, you said that we've seen the DMs, the emails, the conversations from people who think that Christina, or Akimini, you wrote this, you said that uh, people think Christina is warmer and kinder because she is light and they see me as mean and cold because I'm dark. And I thought, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, like that's who we are as people. And it's sad that that's who we are and that's how we've been conditioned. So the fact that y'all are talking about it, that you're bringing it to light, that you're saying the secret thoughts that people have in their mind that they would never mm-hmm. want to admit out loud mm-hmm. um, is so important for, for these conversations to be happening. So thank you so much for that. So, yeah. Christina, I know that your work, you know, as a psychologist, you're a marriage therapist. I love how y'all really talk about the, the heavy hitting things in the book, you know, you talk about politics, you talk about colorism, um, you talk about slavery, you talk about that. And then you also talk about relationships. And um, I know Michelle also was a co-author of the book. Michelle's, you know, history is mm-hmm. she's divorced. Um, Akimini, you're single still? Yes. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't know if anything had changed between okay. now and, you know, when you wrote the book. And then, uh, Christina, you're married. <laughs> God's, God's at work. Well, God's at work. But he is at work. <laughs> but yes. And he moves quickly. So, I mean, I didn't know. I was like, let me just, before I assume, let me just make sure that things are still the same. (laughs) (laughs) But you all come from relationships or you come at this topic of relationships from different vantage points. And um, I feel like I haven't been single for so long. I don't know how to relate. I don't know what in the world is going on in the world of singleness. (laughs) But Kimberly, you do. And you've had a lot of experience, obviously, being a... A, a highly successful, educated, beautiful, strong black woman and navigating the, the waters of singlehood. And I know a lot of the women that I talk to who are still single, it's not necessarily because some of them still want to be single, but many of them don't. Um, what I've heard is that the pool is so small. It's so limited. And it's like, where are all the good black brothers out here? So what has been your experience, Akimini, with just being successful, knowing who you are, not perfect, obviously, but you're on your path. You're in your zone. You're in your lane. Do you have desires to get married? And what has been your experience with kind of just life as a single woman? Yeah, well, um, (laughs) it ain't been no crystal step. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Um, No, um, you know, it has been, I've been single much longer than I thought I would be. Let's, you know, let's, let's say it, say it that way. Um, I think that because I have visibility, you know, that kind of makes it a bit more complicated, you know, a little bit, a little bit harder. Um, um, I guess, I guess for the wrong, the wrong 
wrong guys, right? So, <laughs> so, but really, I think that um, it may, it just adds a little bit another layer, right? That makes it a little bit um, um, harder, you know, to date, right? Because I'm not like um, an anonymous, you know, um, person that's just working, you know, regular nine to five and doing their thing, and because I have a, a bit more of a, I'm Googleable. <laughs> so like um and so i think that does add another a layer you know of of complication to something that's already complicated dating is complicated these days um between the dating apps and um the onslaught of social media um you know the ways that we're siloed away you know now and not quite living in community in the ways that past generation has which is typically the ways that we would meet people is in community through somebody, not to say that doesn't happen at all now, but there's a whole term for that now. It's called meet cute, right? And so it's like where people meet like in these cute ways. It's like, oh, I met this person at a wedding. Like, oh, you mean like how they used to do that? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so like, I know a friend who knows somebody. Oh, yeah, that's what used to happen. I'm so, which is my preference, right? But I, I am trying mm. to live it. I, I can't help the era and time that I was born in. I don't know. Right. You know, I don't know why God hasn't yet uh, brought my person, you know, but I'm just trying to use the means that God has provided and uh, dating apps is one. And yeah, that's not been the most pleasant experience. <laughs> um, so it, it's, it's tough. It is tough. Um, you need somebody that can be secure in who they are and who God has made them to be somebody who loves the Lord truly loves the Lord, goes to church, prays, you know, has a real genuine relationship with the Lord, um, has integrity, has ethics, you know, um, somebody who's kind and um, expressive and is, you know, is at least aware, you know, of some of their, um, I don't know, traumas and whatnot. Mm -hmm. You ain't got to be an expert, but, you know, you're, at least you're aware you're working on it. You know, you're trying mm -hmm. to grow and somebody that you can grow together with, you know, and that's not easy to find. Not, I don't think that's ever been easy to find, but it's it seems much more difficult um, these days, you know. But it's okay. All, all it takes is one, you know. I believe God's got a ram in the bush, so we <laughs> so I keep going by God's grace, if that makes sense. But it, it has been, it, it has definitely been difficult for sure, for sure. I'm not even gonna lie about that. And I make it, I make that pretty plain in the in the book too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you haven't settled. That's the good news, you know, because that I'm sure. I don't know about you personally, but there is the temptation to, you know, be like, okay, well, I'm ready. You know, I'm, I'm just going to settle. The fact that you haven't settled, I think is super inspiring because you could have, um, you could have settled. And the fact that you're not settling is inspiring and speaks to a lot of single women who like, no, don't settle. Yeah, yeah. God will either bring the right person or he won't. But what we're not going to do is settle for somebody who can jack your life all the way up. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That's right. I didn't wait this long for mediocrity. I didn't wait this long for struggle love now. So I really can. It can be me and Jesus for the rest of my days. And we, it, I really will make it. You know what I'm saying? Now, now I might cry here and there. I'm not, poor Christine, I'm going to keep on crying in her ear, you know, but I will make it, you know, but yeah, I mean, I'm not, no, we, I can't settle. I, I come too far by faith. Mm. Not going to, not going to settle, not willing you know, to do that. But yeah, if I wanted to be married, oh, I'm sure I could have been married. I mean, sure. if I really wanted to just get a man and like a build a bear, if I really wanted to try to, you know, make me a man, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I could have, you know, and, and many have tried, you know, and failed, 
you know, and I just, I don't want that. I've seen that. Um, and it just goes, this thing is not by force. It's by grace. So either God will do it or God won't do it. And yes. I am determined to be content with what God has for me and when yes. God has it for me. Yes, yes, yes. I love that. I love that. Christina, I love so much about what you wrote about marriage. Um, I mean, obviously that's kind of like my wheelhouse. That's my, my zone. Um, and I love the, the definition that you use for mutual submission. I feel like I, I, I teach a lot about mutual submission and it's like crickets, crickets. And I would imagine, like, I don't know, maybe it's just my naivety. I thought women will feel so empowered with, like, this knowledge of how Christian marriage is supposed to operate on mutual submission. But I get a lot of kickback from Christian women that are still, like, holding up this idea of traditional, if I can put it that way, traditional submission. So for, for those who haven't yet read the book, Christina, can you explain what you mean by mutual submission and how that how that should look like in a Christian marriage. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, so I think people have to be honest about the, about the ways that scripture, for example, has long been interpreted primarily and most, uh, with the, with the most powerful microphone by, by one gender. And, um, and so it's, but yet God's word is for everyone. And the reason why we need to have what we call in theology, the Catholicity of the church, where we need people from um, men and women, people from different continents and backgrounds, uh, understanding God's word is because we are likely to have kind of a biased hermeneutic. In other words, um, we're limited in all that we can see because of our issues, because of our stuff. <laughs> and so um, if, if, for example, and I'm not saying this is everybody, but if, for example, uh, there, there was only men and only men who may feel disenfranchised in society who interpret scripture, they might get to points of, of the text that say, like, I'm supposed to be honored in this way. Like, no. And, and they might, again, use um, they might begin to, to argue and, or to lift up a way of seeing submission in which they are getting a validation that they don't get in society from their mm -hmm. wife. And I would say that we all have a temptation to have those kind of um, self-serving hermeneutics. All of us are tempted to do that. Some of us don't have microphones. So, so our impact, our destructive impact is not quite as pervasive, but I think some of us do have microphones. And so that particular uh, way of seeing the text and that overemphasis of it does have consequences. I mean, it shapes traditions and denominations and local churches, et cetera. So the idea of mutual submission really rests in the fact that in order to submit, you have to have equity. Like equity is assumed in submission. Yeah. Uh, there's a difference, you know, a, you know, a child is not submitting to a parent because there actually is a hierarchical relationship. Now within their humanity, they, they are certainly equal, but in, within that relationship, it is right for the parent to have certain responsibility and to receive certain levels of respect. That's, that's in order. But when we talk about submission in a coupleship, we are talking about two, two, uh, two, two humans, uh, uh, a husband and a wife who have equal dig dignity and equal worth. And that is why it is powerful when an equal says, I'm going to lay down my preference for you in this moment. <laughs> and that, and that is necessarily mutual when, uh, and when we look at passages about, um, about the husband loving his wife as Christ loved the church and he gives himself up 
for his wife. People typically think about that in a very Western heroic way. And, and of course right. that's true too. And people love that. They're like Christ, you know, die for the church, but Christ also does things in giving himself up as in make space for others, hmm. make space for others to speak. Uh, is in solidarity with others, uplifts others' platforms and, and opinions and thoughts and experiences. And so there are many men who I've met who are like, yes, I don't have any problem dying for my wife. In other words, taking a bullet for my wife, but I'm not willing to delay my sense of gratification in order to hear her opinion. Well, I would say that you are not loving your wife like Christ loves the church because you can take a bullet, but you can't be quiet. Whoa. So we, we have to really challenge the way we think about submission because at bottom, it really is about love. And I think most women who cringe on the other side, who cringe even in Christian circles at the idea of submission, oftentimes that is rooted in fear. And they got good reason to be afraid because there's some jokers out here. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, get why, <laughs> I get why there's fear. But, but ultimately what we are entrusting ourselves to is God's word and God's love for us. And those men that we are submitting to and the, and the husbands who are mutually submitting to their wives, ultimately we are doing this as an expression of worship to our God and seeking to love that person richly and fully. And, and again, it's a sanctifying process. I mean, I like to get my way. I like, I feel like I'm quite reasonable. <laughs> and oftentimes I'm like, I think I'm spot on about this, but, but sometimes love doesn't look like being right. It looks like seeking unity. It looks like seeking togetherness. It looks like um, letting someone else speak for a moment. And, um, and I think uh, prayerfully, we have long and rich marriages where we can exercise that and grow together in that. Mm -hmm. I love, love that. You know, you talk a lot about um, how marriage is this outward example, really, for our children, for others. Um, you wrote that strong marriage, or I'm sorry, you wrote that uh, your marriage isn't a performance, but it's being observed. And I think about that with, with my kids, you know, like, our marriage isn't perfect. My husband and I have definitely been through our fair share of life in 23 years, but it's like, I want to create a marriage that my kids are proud of. I say that often um, where we're not performing, but people are watching. Kids are watching. Other people are watching. Family members, extended family members, neighbors, everybody's watching that. And I love, that's why I love this idea of mutual submission, because I think that that is more, to me, it just, it rings truer. It's healthier. It's more sustainable um, than just because you are a specific gender feeling that your way never matters. That at the end of the day, it's always the husband who's going to win at the end of the day. I'm like, that is, if I wasn't a Christian, that just don't even sound Christ-like. Like, that just doesn't even sound logical. So I, I just want others, and I hope that people can really uplift this whole idea of mutual submission, because to me, that is Christ-like. That is how Jesus operated in this world. And so I just really appreciate you um, bringing that to light. And I hope that you'll continue to, to shout that from the rooftops so that people can know that that's, that's the better way. Even for for men or someone who might be listening to this right now and say like, no, no, the, the, the husband is the head of the wife. I would, I would encourage them to think about what, what even headship means in the context of that scripture. Um, and that ultimately the goal is not CEO. We, we, again, Western hierarchy. W what if that example is really talking about a body 
that is supposed to come together in oneness versus a hierarchy. <laughs> Yes. And so again, we, I think we have to really lean in and ask the Holy Spirit to give us a love and tenderness Amen. in which to interpret these texts. Because at the end of the day, the purpose is, is love, which again can, can feel burdensome at times, but I do think we have to challenge some of our, our interpretations. And, um, and then I would also say this for, for men, um, this idea that you always have the, the right answer or that you, that, you know, um, mm -hmm. like you're supposed to to have it all together. That's actually really unfair. Yeah. That's really, that's an unfair burden mm -hmm. to, to put on men. And I think there is a way of thinking about leadership and that's fine. If people think of their husband as, as the leader in their home, as it could be a term of honor and endearment. Um, but, but that, but even, a, but every good leader <laughs> knows that they don't have all the answers. Right. <laughs> every good leader is like, I have a fabulous team of people who are better at the things than, than I am. And so I want to yield to and submit to, and I want to fan the flame and I want to create platform for this person who does this so, so well. I had a good friend who came from an accounting background and when she got married, uh, her, they had a particular view of submission and authority and headship and all the things. And her husband was like, give me all the checkbooks and everything and I'm going to handle it. Well, he comes out of like a completely different background. And so it went terribly. It was really bad. <laughs> And one day, she, one day he came to her and was like, I really think you called to manage this. <laughs> and it was like, obviously. <laughs> After he then jacked it up. He's like, okay, now it's After your turn. I know, but he was told by his church, this is what he's supposed to do. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. I want to just say one more thing about the marriage thing. Um, you know, marriage is, I call it God's tricky little discipleship plan for us um, because people get married. They think they're getting married for love and, you know, companionship. And that's great. That's that's wonderful. Um, however, you are going to have to learn how to forgive, how to die to yourself. Um, like the, one of the most scary prayers that you can ever pray is Lord, teach me unconditional love. Cause God's like, I've got just the plan, you know, and you're going to have to go through a lot of forgiveness and, and all of that. And you wrote in the book, you said strong, uh, marriages are where ego unresolved trauma and unforgiveness go to die. I'm like, I got to put that up somewhere. I don't know where I'm gonna put it, but that is such a great quote. W tell us a little bit about, you mean about the so unresolved good. trauma. How does unresolved trauma die in marriage? Well, it dies in good marriages. <laughs> now in, in, in unhealthy marriages, it's going to run the show. And I often, I often say, if you, if you don't deal with your trauma, your trauma is going to deal with you. Yeah. It's definitely will not be ignored. It's going to bubble out of your body. It's going to impact your nervous system. It's going to impact your organs. It's going to impact the way that you see other people. You're going to see your spouse through the lens of your trauma and one that's not fair to them. And that's not, that's not healthy for you either. And so uh, in, in good marriages, we are often um, blessed with the painful business of having mirrors put up in front of our faces day to day, all the time. Children do this too. <laughs> you know, when you have kids as well, they, they start to show you kind of who you are as well. Like what your issues are like, Oh, I don't like that in my kid. Oh, cause that's like me. I don't like yeah. the thing that I don't like in me and my kid as well. And I think the same thing happens certainly, certainly in marriage is that, um, you know, from kind of a classic psychology background, I mean, our, our, our relationships are our opportunity to, redo previous harmful relationships. And so we are kind of, it's, it's kind of an opportunity to get a do-over. Mm. But if we're not consciously aware of that, 
we might be demanding something of our spouse that's really not their debt to pay to us, right? Uh, we might be operating in ways that have a defensiveness or an avoidance because we haven't actually named and reconciled those issues. The frequency in which I have worked with couples who have had painful and significant experiences in their lives before marriage, who never mentioned it mm-hmm. until they got well into their marriage, well, well, well into their marriage. And it wasn't because in some cases they were hiding it. It's because they didn't even realize that it was that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. And then later on, the spouse is like, whoa, you didn't tell me. I didn't know that this was happening. You know, this is, you know, and, and it's there, but they have not even named it yet. So if that person can't even name it for themselves, then you know that it's going to be kind of oozing into that marriage without the necessary skills uh, to actually actually manage and to deal with and process through that pain. Yeah, which is why like it makes sense that then a strong, healthy marriage can be a place where that unresolved trauma can actually be put to bed, you know, through that unconditional love and support of a loving, caring spouse, knowing that like you can bring all of your ugly and I'm still going to be here for you. I'm still I might not be able to fix all your problems, um, but I can at least help you to heal like love heals. So I just I love that. I love that whole thought. So, well, ladies, this is. This has been encouraging for me. Um, the name of the book is called Truth's Table, Black mm-hmm. Women's Musings on Life, Love, and Liberation. And it is for sure all in there. And so um, where can people find out about you guys if they want to learn more about you? Obviously, I'm going to link to all of this in the show notes of the podcast, your podcast itself. Uh, but where's the best place for people to find out about all things Truth's Table? Uh, yeah, well, thank you so much, Dana, for having us on the show. Uh, yeah, they can find out all things Truth Table on our website, <laughs> truthtable.com. If they want to get the book, they can get their truthtable.com slash book. And our book was nominated, um, uh, has an NAC, NAACP um, Image Award nomination. So we, we thank God for that. Um, but yeah, all of that information is there on our website. You can connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Those links are there on our website too. And myself and Christina. Um, I don't know if our Instagrams are linked there, but mine is um, at Sister Theology and I'm at Sister underscore Theology on um, Twitter as well. So thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at at Dr. C. Edmondson on Instagram and Twitter, Twitter world, Mm -hmm. still contemplating whether or not I'm going to leave, but I'm there right now. (laughs) You are brave. I'm like, I can't handle Twitter. Twitter is just too much. I just can't even handle it. But yeah. Well, Akimini, Christina, yeah. this has been super, super rich conversation. And I'm, I'm just so grateful for you both. I'm excited about the book. That's a huge honor. Um, and I'm going to just shout it from the rooftops because your style of writing, you write how you talk. And I love when I read a book and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that's how they talk. So thank you so much for being here today. Listen, I told you guys this is going to be a power-packed episode. If you are here still, I want to congratulate you for listening all the way to the end. Did you learn something today? Were you challenged today? Did you hear something totally brand new that you've never thought about today? I hope that that is the case. That is so just rewarding for me as a podcast host, as a teacher, as someone who loves to coach and loves to educate people. I want you to walk away going, man, I learned so much in that episode today. So I want to make sure that you all connect with Akimini and Dr. Christina. You can find out all about them on their website at truthstable.com. Be sure to check out their podcast called Truth's Table. And also be sure to get your copy of their book. It's called Truth's Table, Black Women's Musings on Life, 
Love and Liberation. I've read the book already. I'm about to reread it because it's that good, you guys. So thank you so much again, Akimini and Dr. Christina for being with us today. Of course, I will link to everything that you guys need to know in the show notes of this podcast. And that is at realrelationshiptalk.com forward slash episode 145. Well, make sure that you have also taken that free partner quiz that I told you about in the uh, beginning of the show. I want to make sure that you are connecting and reconnecting with your spouse or with your partner. You can find that quiz at danashay.com forward slash partner quiz. danashay.com forward slash partner quiz. Well, my friends, as we end every episode in saying a good relationship is not one that works, A good relationship is one where you put in the work. Let's get to work, my friends. I will see you on the next episode. Take care. Thank you for listening to Real Relationship Talk with Dana Shea. Find the show notes, helpful articles, and more relationship tips at realrelationshiptalk.com. Enjoying the show? Be sure to rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And remember to subscribe. We'll see you on the next episode.